I'm John Cannell, and you're listening to Ingredient Insiders. This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking with chefs and authors about their favorite ingredients. We then speak to the producer of that ingredient to learn its history, how it's made, and why chefs love using it in their kitchens. Today, we've got a real star on, Andrea. We do. It's so exciting. We have John Cannell from Preppy Kitchen. All right, first of all, if you're on Instagram... My man, John Cannell, has over a million followers. 1.6 to be exact. His content is incredible on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Go on YouTube, go on Instagram, look up Preppy Kitchen. He is based up in Litchfield, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. I don't even think he's a professional chef by trade, but he is like the, to me, is like an up and coming Martha Stewart. Absolutely. With what he's doing. He is brilliant in the kitchen he's such a lovely person mm-hmm. i cannot wait to talk to him he's and you making, know what he wants to talk about yeah I, did he I was, tell you already he did i was so excited he wants to talk about sour cream yeah like Yum. amazing and i think it's an ingredient where okay you say sour cream to most americans yeah the first thing that comes to my mind is french onion dip like mm-hmm. yeah absolutely blending it with that I mean, what what else are I mean, I'm thinking about like tacos, like exactly right. a dollop on top of your Correct. nachos, but put it on top of your chili. Yep, but he's using it, you know, in a variety of ways, you know, outside of just like a condiment. He's yeah. putting it in, you know, and I was looking at his Instagram, his baked goods. Yeah. Looks so good. It's definitely kind of the secret ingredient. I don't even know if it's a secret anymore, but mm-hmm. it's the ingredient that so many bakers are using mm-hmm. to make their muffins and their cakes have that real like it adds richness and moisture and it makes things really delicious yeah and what i like about him i was watching um his youtube channel is he really he makes his recipes very approachable and there were even times where like if he made like a little mistake you know it's not like you know sometimes in these food shows where they'll like retake it and, and make it perfect like he just you know he fixes it and moves on just like you would at home and i think that resonates with a lot of people so I really, I cannot wait to talk to him. Yeah, this is going to be a real awesome episode. A New York Times bestselling author, YouTube. This guy's awesome, John. He's a sensation. Yep, John, John Cannell. Cannell. All right, here we go. This season of Ingredient Insiders is brought to you by Bazzini Nuts. Bazzini is the brand of choice among chefs in the finest hotels and restaurants. Their legacy of quality extends to gourmet retail stores, specialty boutiques, grocery distributors, and delis, ensuring you have access to their extensive range of consumer retail packages. It all started in 1886 when Italian immigrant Anthony L. Bazzini began selling nuts by the pound to bakers, street vendors, and individuals during the Great Depression. But Bazzini Nuts isn't just about peanuts. They offer a delightful array of nuts like cashews, almonds, pecans, pistachios, hazelnuts, and more. Plus, a tempting selection of dried fruit, including apricots, cranberries, figs, dates, prunes, and tomatoes. So whether at the ballpark, in the kitchen, or indulging in some well-deserved self-care, choose Bazzini Nuts. With a legacy spanning 137 years, they're here to serve your needs with the same consistency, reliability, and quality, making them an iconic name in the world of nuts and dried fruits. Bazzini Nuts, tradition, quality, and taste all in one. Taste the legacy today. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Gotham Production Studios in New York City. 
Well, we are here in the studio today, and we've got a very special guest on the line joining us today, Andrea. We have a New York Times bestselling author, John. Tell us about this beautiful book, The Preppy Kitchen. Well, you know, my husband and I are from Los Angeles, and we grew up in the land of 72 and sunny. You know, the leaves will change on the trees sometime in March. <laughs> That's how different the seasons are. And we both moved. We love this we love the East Coast. We moved here and we fell in love with the seasons. So I had come and visited occasionally, like for a few weeks at a time, for a few days at a time. That's not the same as being immersed in the seasons for a full year. And when that happens to you, one, you realize like those summer strawberries are so amazing and you will never have that flavor again until they come back. The same thing with rhubarb or like those pears that are freshly picked. But aside from the seasonality of ingredients, you also crave different things at different times of the year. Like it's been so hot (laughs) recently and I wanted light, bright foods, heavy on the herbs, things that are just going to like fill me up and not weigh me down. That's not what I want in the winter when I am fully nesting. I have things bubbling away on my stove spices are heady in the air and i am looking for comforting creamy crunchy delicious things so i i made this book that's organized by the seasons but it's really just like the most delicious recipes that i've always been like kind of noodling over and like you know practicing and redoing until i thought they were like just right and ready to come into the world i love that i think we take it for granted mm-hmm. andrew and i are both east coasters right yeah. Mm-hmm. You still call yourself a New Yorker, even though you're closer know, to Philadelphia? I know, I just moved to Philly. So, I, I mean, I still feel at heart I'm a New Yorker. But what I'm finding... You play, play native New Yorker. I'm a native New Yorker. Exactly. <laughs> I find that, you know, for me, I definitely move and eat with the seasons. Absolutely. But I'm finding it, it's almost, um, as I'm getting older, it's almost repetitive. It's like, I eat so much asparagus in April and May and June... And then right now, as you just referenced, in the summer months, I'm eating tomatoes and corn and a lot of melons and zucchini. Exactly. And then I will move into the fall and have these, you know, heavier braised dishes. Squashes, All these warm spices and everything. Mm -hmm. But I almost find like it's... because I don't know if time's going, it seems like it's going faster to me. I always feel like it's the exact same thing every year. Yeah, but to John's point... Like I get excited about it. Oh, I get excited too. I like over, you know, I overindulge mm-hmm. on melons and gazpacho in the summer. Absolutely. Like this morning I woke up and the the it was 59 degrees. Oh, it's like fall's coming. And I felt it. Yeah. It was like fall is coming and I got super excited and I started thinking about pumpkin and braising short ribs <laughs> and like you know all of those more hearty dishes. So I do think that Maybe if like living on the West Coast, you lose some of that excitement, I would think. Yeah. So, John, what brought you to Litchfield, Connecticut? Uh, We had lived in New York for a while and just been looking around at different places. Like when you live in New York, you love it in the city. You live in the city, you love it, but you look for escapes. So we were looking around like what's what's in the country upstate, what's in Connecticut, and a friend of ours moved uh, to Litchfield County and said, have you ever been here? It's so nice. I'm like, no, we've actually never been. So let's go. And we fell in love with it. It has so much history. A lot of the land has been preserved. So they're in trust, um, which we love. And 
it was just a really relaxing, beautiful, bucolic vibe. And uh, I'm so happy that we got to spend time here. Well, it, I went for a bike ride there this weekend. And I saw that it hill, is John. stunningly beautiful and very hilly. It was a great place to ride. And actually, it really kind of falls in line with what we're talking about today as far as ingredients go, because there's a lot of wonderful and beautiful dairy farms there. I saw cows while riding my bike. Mm-hmm. We, beautiful cheesemakers. We were talking earlier. There's great cheesemakers. There's a Arethusa Farms, which we love their dairy and ice creams. Yeah, and, we sell a lot of their products. And when we asked you what ingredient you wanted to speak about today, you said sour cream. So I think it's very home at home yeah. in the Litchfield Hills. Yeah. But why did you want to talk about sour cream? You know, it's the inner teacher in me coming out. Um, I was a teacher for over 10 years, but for math and science. And I always think of what I do now as just like a slight pivot. Because one, there's so much math and science involved in making food. So it's like a lovely opportunity for parents to come in and like have these teachable moments with their kids. But <laughs> to answer your question, it's a secret that if you have it in your, if you have some sour cream in your fridge, you can do so many different things with it. And I'm really excited to have the opportunity to share some of my tricks for using it and ways that it could make your dishes a lot better in ways that you might not know about. Absolutely. I mean, sour cream is, I think about it for pastry. I think about it for savory. It's something that, you know, it's, it, its roots are in Eastern Europe um, and was, you know, brought to you know, to the U.S. I got to confess, like when I think, and I love sour cream, yeah. like I think of ranch dressing, mm. any kind of like dip for vegetables or potato chips. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I know that people do use it to put into cakes and muffins to make them moist. Yep. But what else do you do with sour cream? Yeah. What are your, I want to hear these tricks. Well, first of all, I have to, since you told me yours, I should tell you my guilty pleasure with it, which is like, from my childhood, my mom would steam artichokes and she would buy a little bit of sour cream and that Lipton's onion mix. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you had that? Oh, That's yeah. what I was thinking of when I said dip. dip. What, yes. What is in that? <laughs> it's so Probably good. MSG and some other oh, delicious things. Oh, yeah, but things. I still feel like, like people yeah. love it my still. Out. It's so good. It's so good. So tell us, what would she do uh, with that? So that was just like her dip for the artichokes, but... If you're wondering, like, what's the deal with sour cream, let's say in baked goods to start with, sour cream is a weak acid. So in recipes for cakes, you know, you'll see a little bit of lemon juice. You'll see some buttermilk being used. You might see some sour cream. You might see uh, even vinegar. And when you add a little bit of acid to your baked good, you're just going to change the pH and create a little bit of a hostile environment for the gluten to form. So that protein in the flour, which is so lovely and gives you that wonderful chew in breads, <laughs> is not what we want in a baked good. Because when you, when you have that gluten formation in a muffin or a cake, it'll give you a denser, gummy bake. You'll take your baked good out of the oven. It looks perfect and beautiful. Here's a little pat on the back. But then as it cools down, it shrinks down. You know, what happened? I, everything was right. I followed the ingredients to a T. Oftentimes, people will overmix their batter. You know, it's like one of the cardinal, cardinal mistakes that people make because you're just really making sure everything's mixed in and you should be mixing any batter until it is almost combined or just combined. And you're activating the gluten. So you're creating this gummy, dense thing. It changes the way you even taste 
the cake or the baked good. Like I've had people make a, a recipe of mine and follow it. And they just like totally overmix the batter because they like, you know, everyone's busy. We get distracted and you taste it differently. It doesn't taste like the same recipe. Everyone knows, well, not everyone, but many people know that sour cream gives you added moisture. So if you call for yogurt, you could also use sour cream. But the tanginess is so lovely. One of the main things that can make a recipe fall flat, even if it's perfectly executed, is the flatness of the flavor. So like if you don't use salt in a sweet dish, if you don't have something with some zing or tang for a counterbalance, you're just tasting one note and that's not delighting your palate. It's just, you know, pleasing your palate slightly. So giving a little bit of tang from sour cream gives you a lovely depth of flavor in chocolate goods, but it also makes a really good chocolate um, frosting. So you could just melt chocolate and sour cream together one-to-one and um, you could like use it as a ganache. You could let it set up. You could whip it after it's set up. And it's so good. My friend actually makes it uh, for her dad because he's diabetic. So you can like really like, control the amount of sugar and it's going to be delicious and still give you that lovely presentation. Mm. So, so far, sour cream is a tenderizer. It's in cakes and quick breads. And it's mm-hmm. a flavor enhancer in baked goods like chocolate, you know, icings or mousse. Is that yeah. and right? Lot, it's totally true. And sometimes you... Everyone thinks of like cakes as maybe being light and fluffy, but a light and fluffy cake is not the be all end all. Sometimes you want a cake with more substance or a little bit of oomph. It's still going to be delicate in texture and melt in your mouth, but it isn't like one of those flyaway boxed cakes that uses science magic and it's like foam. Like more you like, know, a, pe- like a pound cake or something that has like some... Like a pound cake or... Yeah, I even think of my pedophore recipe. Like if you're making pedophores, you need papers and layers of cake. And if you're trying to do that with like a fluffy, fluffy cake, you're going to be in for such heartache. <laughs> so you want to have some more structure sometimes when you're building desserts as well. I'm curious about sour cream because, again, as a New Yorker, mm-hmm. I feel like it's ubiquitous in the dairy you know, section yeah. of the supermarket in New York. And maybe it is everywhere else in the United States, and I'm just not aware. But then I think in France, yeah. you don't really use sour cream. They have creme fraiche. That's they have fromage version. blanc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they the same thing? Are they interchangeable? I don't think they are. They are not. So creme fraiche, and I'm sure John could tell us this as well, but creme fraiche has a higher fat content. So mm-hmm. sour cream is up to 20% fat, and creme fraiche is up to 30 Is there a French sour cream? Creme fraiche. Right, John? Yeah, I think I, because I have a lot of international viewers on my YouTube channel and I'll call for sour cream in a recipe, but I've had to start calling for sour cream or a full fat Greek yogurt because yes, sour cream is available like in England and some other countries, but it's not universally available. And you want to have something with a similar fat content, similar water content and a similar texture. So creme fraiche, like, would it work if you're making muffins? Yes, it probably would. It's like, oh no, I'm adding a little bit more fat. It's going to fall apart. Oh, boo, more but fat. I know. It's like, oh, why is this so much more delicious? Right. What did you do with it? It's like when, like when my mom makes scrambled eggs. Like, oh, why aren't these so good? It's just, oh, I just used a drop of butter. Her drop of butter is like throwing a brick inside. I've, had, I've like, heard oh, of people lovely. putting sour cream in scrambled eggs. 
Yeah, it's like people are doing that with like ricotta and there any kind of like a lighter, yeah, like fattier, delicious thing is going to mix really well with eggs and be friends with it. So, you know, I like to use, I call for buttermilk a lot of times in my recipes and buttermilk is like kind of tricky. Like sometimes, you know, you buy, you buy some, you end up using like three tablespoons and it sits in your fridge and expires. So you can go the powdered buttermilk recipe and like, it's kind of shelf stable and forever. You could do the cheat with like milk and some vinegar. And I think that's a good substitute or you could use sour cream and like three parts sour cream, one part water, and it'll have a similar consistency, a similar fat content and a similar acidity. So it'll still work in those recipes. Um, would creme fresh work if I was making um, a coffee cake? Actually, you know what? I was making a coffee cake the other day. It was like one of my favorites from the blog and I ran out of sour cream. So I had like half as much as I needed, but I just so happened to have several containers of creme fresh. So I, I used half sour cream, half creme fresh. It's, it was delicious. <laughs> so, I think the answer is yes. I think we want to go to yes. John's house yeah, and when... eat crumb cake for breakfast <laughs> I, one morning. I, I, I want that for sure. So Most John, baking yeah. is so forgiving. So like a lot of times people get really, really stressed out and have like baking anxiety because they think baking is a science. It's very precise. You know, like if they watch like my YouTube channel, they'll see me using a scale to measure things. So it's like nice and always getting the right amount of flour and things. But most recipes, especially all the stir together ones, are beyond forgiving. I am very absent-minded. I will be the first to admit. <laughs> no one's going to disagree who knows me. And like I've made so many recipes, like maybe 20% of the time, where it's at the very end. I'm about to put it into the pan. I'm like, something's different. And it's like, tickle taste. I'm not supposed to do that, but I did anyways. And I was like, I forgot to put the sugar in this. <laughs> Good thing you tasted <laughs> and I was it. Like, I know. I was like, shouldn't do that, but I did. And you fold it in at the very end. That's not what the recipe calls for. It still works. It's fine. Just don't overmix. Just fold gently. Like, so you have so much play and opportunity to experiment. I would hope that people think of their time in the kitchen as an opportunity to like spread their wings, to be creative within a framework, and to have a, a good time and not be stressed about following things exactly to the T. Unless you're making something meringue-based, in which case you should really follow the directions carefully. Let's jump back in time a little bit because you did not come up with a, from a formal cooking background, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening out there. We have some influencers who listen. You're mm -hmm. a, sort of an Instagram sensation. You're a YouTube. You know, you've got a gazillion yep. followers on social media. How did you get into the world of food? And also, how did you parlay that into, you know, this enormous, you know, loyal following on, on social media? Uh, well, first of all, thank you. I'm blushing. <laughs> Andrea is your biggest uh, fan. Yeah. I, uh, I follow you, of course. Oh, you're so sweet. So <laughs> I grew up in the kitchen. Like I was basically that kid who was on my mom's coattails. And my mom is from Mexico and she's specifically from like a very small, small town uh, called Via de la Purificación, which had like one telephone in the whole town at the bank when I would go visit as a child. So she grew up using fresh ingredients all the time. Like we didn't use a lot of canned things ever. Nothing was pre-made for sauces or anything else. And she brought that sensibility with her to America. And, you know, aside from like learning English from a dictionary and eventually like getting a doctoral degree in education, she 
loved her time in the kitchen and she loved learning about new cultures and really traveling through her time in the kitchen. So, you know, she was one of those people who was like a Julia Child acolyte and loved learning about like Danish and Swiss and French and Greek recipes and Spanish recipes and like just trying new things and combining flavors and having a really wonderful and fun time. I got to be her sous chef and learn like, yes, some of her tricks, but mostly kind of her joy from spending time in the kitchen and preparing meals for her family. Because, you know, a lot of us have different love languages. And I feel like in Mexican households, um, food really is a primary way of showing affection. Like I made this for you and I made it with love. It was like, you know, people think like water for chocolate is like maybe very exaggerated, but in some ways it's true. Like my mom would spend time and like create dishes from her heart. And I grew up doing that even when I was like an art major in college, when I was uh, teaching math and science, like I was still bringing like elaborate treats to the teacher's lounge when it was my turn to have snacks. And um, later on as an adult, when my husband and I were planning a family, which is, you know, quite complicated. Yes. <laughs> we were thinking about like, how will this work out? Like who is going to be with these kids primarily? And I had a lot of time off as a teacher, but I didn't have unstructured time off. You can't just show up late. <laughs> it's like, so my kids are busy. Like I need the time with them. So Brian said, you know, you love food. This is like one of your main passions. Why don't you just like pivot and follow your passion and kind of share ways of ways of cooking and recipes with other people um and that's it worked out like i kind of used my artistic sensibility from being an art major to make somewhat fanciful or like desserts that i enjoy looking at and i shared the recipes because people asked for them and then what was interesting for me is a lot of people people learn in different ways it's yep. like if you tried to give me directions on how to get to your studio verbally I'll be lost after the first few words, no matter how hard I'm concentrating. It's just, I will be lost in a ditch somewhere. I can't get there. But if you show me on a map or if you drive me there a couple of times, I'll remember how to get there. You're more of like a visual learner. Totally. I'm Mm. a visual and kinesthetic learner. And a lot of other people were saying like, okay, I see the recipe on the blog, but I have had all these questions. They really want to make the desserts. So I started a YouTube channel where I like just really just did it because I was like, people want to know how to make these recipes. Let's show them how. And I took them through all the mistakes that I make because I make tons of mistakes and how to like fix it or start over or like what you can do to be successful and prepared in the kitchen when you start a recipe. And I think people responded to that because like, I just, I, I, I'm genuinely it takes like, away the intimidation. I yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever yeah. seen anything like that, John. Like you watch these videos and it's like so meticulous and every dish has exactly the right amount that a food stylist put into a bowl and, you know, the, you know, dump, 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 stir, 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 the oven, you know, they open the oven and the muffins are perfect, right? Yep. And it takes yeah. away the intimidation yeah. factor. So this you is feel amazing. comfortable. It's really wonderful. Yeah, I like that. So all those times I forgot to put sugar in recipes, like half of them was on camera. So you just say like, oops, like let's mix it in now. Or like I've made, sometimes I didn't catch it. And like I used half of the sugar I was supposed to use in a recipe. And I was like, oh, these muffins look so different. Or these cookies look much different than I expected. And I taste them. And I was like, oh, but it's like a wonderful opportunity to share like with your audience. Like 
everyone's always asking about cutting out, cutting out sugar from a recipe. Like how much can I cut down? And I get it. Like you can do that, but this is what happens. It's a little bit less sweet, but it has a different spread. It's more bready. It has like all these other texture changes because sugar softens your recipe. And if it's brown sugar, it's adding a little bit of acid that might be helping to let to leaven the recipe. All these things are happening and adding moisture. So all my mistakes are like wonderful opportunities to share with other people because that's what happens in the kitchen. Like I don't know who does things perfectly. I think I, I, I've met some people like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, you are the most impressive human being <laughs> I've ever met. Perfectly minced shallots mm-hmm. that are like, you know, washed and like everything else is going on. Like that's not me and that's not a lot of people. So I think I might speak to all of those like mistakes and casualties that happen in the kitchen. Like, let me show you how to make some food, but we can have a good time and be human. Yeah, I, I it speaks to me. I'm I'm a messy chef. I'm not gonna or a messy cook. I would say in the kitchen. I don't know. Like I feel I, I've been to John's house and I know how meticulous you are. I, I would assume that you're more. I try to keep it pretty clean. Yeah, I I don't know. My ADD brain I think yeah. takes over and. There's flour everywhere. and Speaking of clean kitchens, we're looking at your beautiful country kitchen with the beautiful copperware behind you. you, Are you cooking a lot at home? Are you cooking every night? I cook every night, to be honest. Uh, When you live in the country, one of the trade-offs is like, yes, we have some nice restaurants, but I've lived here for many years now, so I've had that menu over and over. (laughs) I will make my own food. I accept that that's the trade-off for living uh, you know, on a farm where I can have space to have my kids run around. I'll make the food. Yeah. Also, yeah. like, I'm just constantly cooking. So I, I cook for work, so I might as well share it. Like, the kids had lemon meringue pie for dessert yesterday, and I was like, this is for you. Lucky kids. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. I did, yeah, that was not something that uh, I grew up, my mom making lemon meringue pie. So very yeah. lucky. But you I, know we... I actually did. <laughs> <laughs> that's... But I, so I was going to say, you mentioned your mom... Uh, being from Mexico, and I immediately thought of crema, which yeah. yes, that's, a, that's like one we have mentioned. Yeah, like we haven't gotten into savory in terms of sour cream, um, and I think crema is another. You know, it's interesting because like traditionally, I don't think uh, from when I was reading, uh, sour cream what wasn't like a traditional Mexican condiment, and now yeah, like well, <laughs> we we all think about Taco Bell and <laughs> right. Sour cream on your gordito or whatever it is that exactly. you can get a ta- <laughs> the chalupa, <laughs> right? So right. that is interesting that you bring up that thought. Is that it's kind of again with Mexican American food? Yeah, it's another real component of sour cream is a component of that cuisine. Yeah, absolutely. But in Mexico itself, that are d- crema is really what we're talking about. Yeah. Things that are delicious really transcend borders, which is so interesting when you start getting uh, feedback from people. Like if you presented uh, like a Mexican wedding cookie, for example, and I put that online, someone in Greece would say, that looks exactly like a curumbieras, which is like, you know, the Greek version of that. And then someone from Turkey would say like, actually, we have the exact same thing. Sometimes we coat ours with crushed pistachios. And like it goes on like in India. In Indonesia, they have the same cookie too, except they use rose water a lot of times. And there's like, it just goes on and on and on. There's all these permutations because delicious recipes or ingredients that are very simple are things that are going to be beloved around the world. And crema is an example. Like who doesn't like, I I love having a fish taco. It's like a really easy 
weeknight meal and like, you know, get a nice piece of fish. I like to grill mine. And then for me, it's like the crunchy cabbage and like that play of textures and like just, it's so light and bright. I, I love a lot of acid and cilantro in mine. That's for me, but a little, a little drizzle of crema goes a long way. And unfortunately, unless you live in like a major metropolitan area, most supermarkets don't have like a large Latin aisle with like every kind of like queso fresco and everything else that you would want. So you can just engineer your own by diluting a little bit of sour cream and you could use, I like to use a little bit of lime juice uh, to dilute mine because I like things to be really tart, mm -hmm. but it's such a nice finish and it's so easy. And, you know, like sour cream is great for dips. You can use it for, um, you could make like a paste with sour cream with like a lot of spices and coat your meat in it and let it tenderize for a little bit. Um, it's kind of like, but like it's like, Indian food. They coat their meats in yogurt as a, yeah, as a tenderizer. And, so, so. So, and like we use uh, in curry sometimes, like if you ran out of coconut milk, you can use some sour cream and it gives you a little bit of thickening richness that's velvety and it's yeah. lovely. I mean, I think immediately of like borscht. Yes. Right? Right. Beets. Yes. Sour cream. Like stews. Um, but, is... but what about for latkes? Because you got to like. Oh, yeah. Like, I, grew up, I grew up in Los Angeles and like I love a potato pancake. But for me, like if I ever shot a potato pancake for the blog, like I eat them. It would be like a, like a potato pancake entombed completely <laughs> in sour cream. You see like the edges? And then covered in applesauce. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you see edges, you fail. Okay, got it. But it's completely like the sour cream is a vehicle. It is It is the thing. The, the, the pancake is just a vehicle to, to have more and more sour cream, but with applesauce. I it like, has to have that yes. little sweet. I like both, like together. Some people are like, yes. I have to eat like sour cream only or applesauce only. Like yeah. I like it all in one bite. That's how I am. I'm an applesauce guy. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm going to have smoked salmon or caviar with that oh. latka, then I'm a sour cream guy. Oh, you just said another mm. thing. Caviar. Yeah. I mean, I, I think more of creme fraiche with caviar. Sure. But I mean, I wouldn't poo-poo a, a caviar and sour cream. I feel like there's an Eastern European link to, I think you mentioned it earlier, yeah, to Russia. sour cream. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is a Russian, you know, is that how it ended up? In, why I think of it's such a New York thing as part of like the Jewish cuisine, uh, the Eastern European cuisine. That's what I read. I don't know, John, if you have any insights there, but I read that it came from Russia and that it's that Eastern European influence that, you know, we get here that you, you know, you that they were using it on, uh, Perelminis, Veronekis, the pierogies, yeah. all of those things. And the borscht. That's what I read right. as well. And I just never attribute it to one culture because whenever you do that, you get the comments like, but actually, <laughs> right. like, and it's like, you know, like, especially because my dad was Greek and French Canadian. So a lot of the recipes that I grew up thinking of as Greek from my Greek grandfather are actually not, they're beloved in Greece and they might be, you know, they're permutations of them that are very popular in Greece, but they're very popular all around the Mediterranean. So if you go to Turkey, to Syria, to Armenia, like everywhere else, they have this recipe and they might even claim to have invented this recipe. So. Mm -hmm. 
Do you I always f- just leave it at broad generalizations for areas. I'm like, this came from this area. <laughs> I was going to ask, so your mother's from Mexico, your father is yes. from Greek and French Canadian origin. Where does your cooking style come from? Do you Is it influenced by the family? Is it influenced by places around the world you've traveled to? Where did you come to? It's Are your kids foodies? In- my kids are foodies. They know, actually- are you going to let him love. answer the first question first? I'm sorry. First? It kind it's of okay. went you together. Got That's all right. I got really excited because okay. you mentioned you family. You can answer Andrea's question first and then mine second. That's I, appropriate. I won't Thank take you. that personally. Okay. Thanks, John. I'll take Andrea first. So okay. <laughs> I love time in the kitchen with my kids because, you know, I don't always want to like be on the floor with Legos. <laughs> so, I get that. And honestly, like when you're in the kitchen, it's one of the only times in your modern life where you are having peaceful tactile moments and you're not being distracted by technology of some kind so like how many times like i grew up like making mud cakes and like you know playing in the dirt and you know digging things out all the time but that experience is not everyone's today's and when else do you get to have your hands dirty and get all these sensory inputs that are so important for kids and just have time to like communicate and teach people how to follow instructions and teach partial relationships. All this stuff comes hand in hand and also teach people things that are going to be delicious that they get to share and have pride in. Like my kids, um, whenever we go to a party, I have to bring something. So like they'll make muffins or they'll make cupcakes and the look in those kids eyes. when they tell their friends, like I made these cupcakes for you, it is like incredible. And as like a result, like on Sundays, we like to have a pizza day and I give them the warm water already pre-measured and they have a scale and they do the rest. Like they like bloom their yeast. They need their, they use the wooden spoon, which is like a great time suck if you want to like keep hands busy. <laughs> and then they like, they'll knead the dough, they'll let it rest. And they do the whole thing themselves. Like I just create the cheese for them because cheese graters are not a kid's friend. Um, but it's so nice to see kids have agency and control and you learn useful things and don't think that i'm not sneaking fractions in already like when we divide the dough like oh we took this one piece and divided into two so that's one half of the dough for each of you stuff like that and it really comes in handy later on i totally wish that i could travel back in time and take my kids in science and math class into the school kitchen and just let them go at it and have all these hands-on lessons. And I could have used a tutor question. like you growing up, man. Yeah. I like I would have understood math a whole lot better if it was like you dividing, half a dividing exactly dividing <laughs> pastries. Yeah. I would have actually might have passed high school math. Yeah. Math doesn't make sense as like an abstract to everybody, so you really need hands-on opportunities where you see tangible things happen. But to answer your question, John, um, I think of those flavors as a starting point that are from my heritage. Like I have favorite recipes that I grew up with and are really close to my heart. Things like, uh, like spanakopita, which is something my mom would make on repeat. And if you ever make spanakopita, you can always make two and freeze one from later and bake it from frozen. So you could be the hostess with the mostess and just like on without any prep. That's yeah. a great idea. Wow, that's my mom's secret is to always like make two of things. Like if you're making one, you might as well make two. It's like just a little bit more work. And then her freezer is full of things like cheesecakes and, you know, 
this like all the casseroles and everything else that she can just bake in appetizers that she can bake off from frozen and like have a party in an instant. I want an invite uh, to John's mom's house. I know. I'm right? trying to figure really out which do. one That's I'd like rather the, go to first, right. his mom or John. <laughs> or John's. That's the hot invite. Yeah. Well, this has been a really great conversation. It's so nice to connect with you. I know Andrea has been chomping at the bit for Ooh. literally the last 45 minutes yes. because I know she's dying to ask you the next question that she's going to ask okay. you. Okay. Is that, so, is that a fridge behind you or a pantry? It's a fridge. Oh, okay. So my my question for fridge. you. Oh, I knew she. Fridges. I knew I could see she was starting to get like a little, little like, like twitchy, jittery yeah. and twitchy in her chair. So if you've ever listened to the show, we ask every guest, what are the five ingredients that you must have in your kitchen, pantry, fridge at all times? This is going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm, this he's is two a, this refrigerators, is, this is John. A, this is a working kitchen yeah, this is not for this is not playing around there to the pantry okay <laughs> let me take you through this so one yes i'll have sour cream on that list okay Very versatile right. adds that moisture that we love uh lemons mm -hmm. i am like the greek in me needs lemons lemon zest and like people joke my brother and i will use lemon juice instead of salt a lot of times to give you that lift and like, what are you doing? It's like, add lemon juice to everything, but I love it. So I need a lot of lemons. I go through them like you would not believe. Um, a nice European butter, like my okay. dream, my dream is to sit down and have like a warm, crusty, but wet and spongy on the inside piece of sourdough with a beautiful salt flecked European butter lashed onto it. And Never I could just like butter. die in that moment. So I Amen. need that butter. And you, I'm sure you've had conversations on the, on the channel about butters and how American butter has so much more water in it and European butter doesn't. It's like all these people like innocently microwaving butter and it just explodes in their face <laughs> because all the water and it's boiling. Like what's going on? It's bad. Well, that's number three. Um, I have good chocolate. So for me, good chocolate and good cocoa powder are important. I have eaten enough desserts that I can't have those like overly sweet, chalky, uh, chalky chocolates. And I love like a nice bittersweet chocolate. I love, I'm a bitter person as far as flavors go. So I love to have like giant blocks of bittersweet chocolate on hand and I like use it liberally. I would also say this is kind of seasonal, but fresh herbs are a must. So I could like just have bundles of fresh dill and cilantro and parsley, which is an herb and not a garnish. And, you know, I will basically turn anything into a salad because there's so many herbs. In them. That's how it should be. I love that. He said dill. I love I dill. I really like John now. I've, I've, I'm, I I'm, love dill. I, Lauren just came back from Scandinavia and it's like dill on everything. I, I love, love it. it. Well, this has been such a treat. If you do not follow him on Instagram at Preppy Kitchen, P R E P P Y Kitchen, John Cannell, and he's also on YouTube. While I'm at it, you better follow the Prosciutto Queen, Andrea Parkins, my co host, who's <laughs> and got the a Truffle Dog, John Magazino. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been really a pleasure. Sour cream. Thank I'm going to go home. I, you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to make fish tacos and I'm going to put a dollop of sour cream on you them. You better put it on Instagram and tag both of us. I will. Okay. Great talking to you. <laughs> Thanks, Thank John. you so much. I'm, gonna, I'm looking after that. Thank you for having me. It was really fun.
Meet Iliata Extra Virgin Olive Oil, the liquid gold that transforms everyday meals into gourmet experiences. Picture this, a drizzle of Iliata Extra Virgin Olive Oil in a sizzling pan, the aroma of fresh herbs, and the sound of a perfectly seared steak. With Iliata, cooking becomes an art, and your dishes will dazzle every sense. Are you looking for a multi-awarded extra virgin olive oil that is ideal for every occasion? Try Iliata Kalamata PDO to cook and fry, or just sprinkle over your dishes. It's ideal for grilled fish, white and red meat, pasta, vegetables, sauces, and salad dressings. Top chefs, hotels, restaurants, and catering experts choose Iliata every day because it brings out the natural flavor of every ingredient. Don't miss out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. You can watch this episode on YouTube and see more behind-the-scenes content by following us. Find us on Instagram by searching at Ingredient Insiders.